Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. It is May 13, 2021. I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co host, Blue. How you doing, Blue? Saying the date makes this feel so much more professional, and I'm not sure I'm qualified to be here. I just feel like we've been doing the podcast long enough now, and we've had so many instances of, by the time you hear this, and that doesn't really explain, so I figure we'll throw the date in there. Let's let's just start doing that. Yeah? It's an evolving process. I think that's a good idea, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've, uh, we're going to have a bit of a shorter podcast this week, just because Blue and I are absolutely slammed with work. Um, but we did play a bunch of games together, which we'll get into in the back half of the show. But we're going to start off with some news coming from LucasArts Games. They are actually coming out with a new release in collaboration with .emu. Uh, they're going to be re-releasing Zombies Ate My Neighbors and Ghoul Patrol for the PC, Switch, PlayStation, and Xbox on the 29th of June. Now, I don't know if you played this game, Blue, but Zombies Ate My Neighbors is an absolute banger. Cult I don't really classic. know why. Yeah. Yeah, it's just got really cool art. It's got um, just really good movement and stuff. And it's, uh, for those who don't know, it's a top-down uh, shooter. Uh, oh, it's not a twin-stick shooter yet because of the error because it came out on SNES and <laughs> yeah. uh, Mega Drive, but it's definitely no, that vibe. It's a no-stick shooter? Yeah, D-pad shooter. Um, and yeah, it's about, it's like, you know, based on B-horror movies and stuff. So there's like werewolves and zombies and aliens and it's just Got a lot of style. I remember playing it as a kid and really, really liking it. And it's actually on my list to play in the Mister. Um, but yeah, they're going to be bringing it out. Uh, now, LucasArts Games relaunched a label. I think it was last year. Um, or early this like, year. I don't know. Time is weird. But yeah, I remember. Yeah, exactly. People were like, what are they going to do? That's such a weird label to bring back. Um, yeah. And um, they haven't gone into the adventure game stuff that I've seen or noticed yet, but it's interesting that, yeah. you know, the first thought would be Star Wars, right? And it's cool to see them pull something that is, you know, um, I guess a little less of a known property. Like I still think there are lots of people who don't know Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Yeah. And I actually didn't know Ghoul Patrol was a sequel. I didn't even know what that game was until I read this. Story, Never heard so. of that game. I don't think anyone can be crazy surprised that this is what they're pulling but i don't think a lot of people would have had this at the top of their list of what would happen either so yeah i'm, I'm sure uh if it wasn't going to be a star wars property they'd think it's another monkey island reboot right i or yeah monkey island and grim fandango would be the that's still that's also them right uh well i'm pretty sure tim Schafer got the rights back which is how they did that hd gotcha remaster. yeah but it was with so, arts, yeah. Yes, it was a LucasArts game, that's right. Um, uh, yeah, super cool. Uh, for whatever reason in my head, I lump, like, the progression of it as Mansions of Madness into, into Zombie and My oh, Neighbors. Yeah, um, right. Which doesn't make any sense. Not even the no, same platform. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's, like, r- spooky-ish monster games. And then, I don't know. Uh, wasn't around to play games at that period, so. Yeah, right. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, N- it's, neither here it's nor a really there. cool game. What's really interesting is that Dot .emu, I think, are just continually proving themselves as a powerhouse. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're dipping into making new games based on those retro properties, like Windjammers 2 is shaping up to be absolutely stunning. We've got that new Turtles game that I'm very excited to get my hands on. Yeah. 
Um, you know, but then they've been doing these Neo Geo re-releases and now they're moving into this stuff. Like, it's really cool to see that studio. I'm pretty sure they're from France. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the re-release will include local co-op, quick saves, achievements, and a gallery of game art and developer interviews, uh, which they do show in the trailer. So taking that sort of Blizzard approach there, yeah. um, which is really good and much better than that Mario re-release that we, uh, slammed a few weeks ago. Um, this is exactly what oh. I want from it, and it's only fourteen ninety nine US dollars. Uh, I, I get pulled it, into that Wii, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> Although it's your fault we had the conversation. Anyway. Yeah. Um. And for those who are into uh collecting physical, uh, limited run is going to be doing a physical release, and I actually might try and grab that because I really cool. did love this yeah. game. So yeah. Um. Right. Speaking of uh games coming out not physically. Ubisoft are looking to <laughs> that was that was tenuous. That was tenuous. five out of ten. Yeah. Uh Ubisoft has uh made a statement that they're looking to make free-to-play versions of their core franchises, which stirred up quite a bit of vitriol on the internet. Yeah. Uh so they've come out and they said, uh, this was uh a few days ago now. They come out and said that they're looking to release big budget free-to-play versions of some of their major franchises as well as continuing on with its traditional full-price AAA releases of Assassin's Creed and Far Cry. This was sort of brought up during an investment call, and uh, they said that they're going to focus releasing three to four big-budget games per year was no longer a proper indication of a value creation dynamics, uh, which means basically they're looking to do stuff outside of the typical box product sector. Mm. Uh, This then, of course, caused everyone to just go a little crazy, on, on, on social media and Twitter and be like, Ubisoft is abandoning their like AAA stuff. Um, this is bad for the industry. Uh, they've yada, clarified, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. They've clarified in a statement that they will not be reducing its AAA output. Our intention is to deliver a diverse lineup of games that players will love across all platforms. We are excited to be investing more into free to play experiences. However, we want to clarify that this does not mean reducing our AAA offering. Our aim is to continue delivering premium experiences to players such as Far Cry 6, Rain- uh, yeah, Far Cry 6, Rainbow Six, <laughs> Quarantine, Riders Republic, and Skull and Bones, to name a few, while also expanding our free-to-play portfolio and strengthening our brands to reach even more players. This kind of already makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, to me. Absolutely, it like, does. Ubisoft release like 6,000 games a year and they churn out like the same franchises year after year after year. So even if you reduce that AAA output, that's better for the games because there's more, like right now it's very, everything's very iterative, right? Yeah, which is good. Um, It is good, but it gives them a chance to really, you know, um, do what Call of Duty kind of did with, um, you know, Modern Warfare, right? They, yep. they had the chance to take some breathing room and reboot and think about it for a little while. And then look at what Warzone's become. And that's like the perfect example here. We've got Activision still churning out a Call of Duty game every year, mm-hmm. but the free-to-play Warzone is doing just as well, if not better, financially. Mm-hmm. So kind of there is a place for, for both uh, business models in the same thing. And, um, and even Warzone was iterative because um, there's, um what is it, Blackout before it? Yeah, Blackout, part of Black Ops 3. Yeah. yeah. I, for, I One of the problems that... A lot of people tend to snap react to something, and I did the same thing, right? I saw Ubisoft, and I was like, "Oh, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry." But when you then you stop, you, you just all you need to do is take a moment to stop and go, 
but also Rainbow Six, For Honor. Uh, you know, how many? Yeah, absolutely. Multiplayer I mean, games Six, they have that uh, uh, free to play. What Ubisoft um, has done, like I've always model makes sense for. You know, <laughs> ever since like, I've been in the games industry, especially as a journalist. I always, we always used to have this thing in the office where we'd say Ubisoft games are like just a little bit shit. Like they're never fantastic. They're always just a little below the mark, right? And I think what Ubisoft, <laughs> they're still at that stage, but what Ubisoft has done is really proven yep. their commitment to delivering fantastic live service games. Like Rainbow Six uh, Siege launched and it was a broken mess and that game's been going for... I want to say five years, but it might not have been that long, but constant updates, constant content, good mm. content, meaningful updates, game updates that changed how you play the game. Um, they did the same to a lesser extent yep. for both of the, the division games, especially with their online modes. Um, they tried to do it with ghost recon and it didn't work as well there, but like they have, you know, shown their commitment to coming back and supporting yep. that live service thing uh, for honor. I know has a, pretty healthy player base and it is free to play now so i mean in that sense they're actually one of the companies i really trust to really you know like yep. if i'm gonna go play a game yep. i'm not as scared to be like i'm gonna invest some time and money into this free-to-play game because they have proven they stick around for sure. except for hyperscape which i'm very salty is gone because i actually really liked hyperscape um mm. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Um, they've also announced that Tom Clancy's The Division Heartland will be a standalone free-to-play mm. version of the online co-op shooter, and it'll be launching sometime in late 2021, early 2022. And it'll be accompanied by a The Division game for mobile, um, which I don't think they're actually related. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you mm. have any strong thoughts about this, but I think it's quite exciting, actually. They're not a developer slash publishing house that I particularly enjoy the IPs of, but yeah, totally. I'm also not going to pretend like they don't release quality things. I, I can I can separate personal feelings from like objective assessment here, right? Like Assassin's Creed and Far Cry are totally franchises that a lot of people yeah. really like right now. And I also recognize that the people who like Assassin's Creed right now are probably not the same ones who liked it at the beginning of the franchise, right? So... Um, no, like, yeah, exactly. Right. This is, this is one of those like statements that actually means nothing and you have to judge it based on yeah. what comes out next. Speaking of getting in arms about uh, things though, Skull people and will Bones, get in arms over the pirate it, you know, game so. that has been in development so we're talking for 17,000 years at Ubisoft has been pushed back again. Uh, so this game, which started off as an Assassin's Creed 4 mm. Black Flag spinoff, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, was announced in E3 2017. It's being developed by Ubisoft Singapore and it was yep. uh, supposed to come out in 2018 and it was delayed in 2018 and then it was delayed again in 2019. Uh, the announcement from Ubisoft, uh, we're going to batten down the hatches and push back on the game's arrival. This is challenging news for us all, but it's what's needed to make Skull and Bones as awesome as it can be. Uh, now this, uh, you know, comes from you know, because people are following this game pretty hard. Uh, back in September last year, uh, Ubisoft confirmed that it dreamt something bigger for Skull and Bones, uh, and they mm. said that details were elusive, but they would uh, let fans know sometime later that year. Uh, the reports are that it's been completely redesigned, 
shifting uh, things to character quests and co-op play, which like you look at this and you just have to be like, Sea of Thieves did this. Like Sea of Thieves is what caused this to happen, right? Like I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I could. I I actually yeah, think I, that. I mean, um, and it was a spin off. The twenty seventeen right? like look that we had was constrained. Was a tech demo with no game behind it. And not to say that the sailing in Black Flag was bad. Like that Black Flag is one of the few Assassin's yeah. Creed games I really like. But it was also made in twenty. It was released in twenty sixteen. I think. Like it's an old game, basically, yep. is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It it is an old game, yeah. I, I I do think that this is one of the cases where they had game and no story, and just kind of assumed that we would be able to fill in the story in the back. And then as as development went on, scope creep came in. I'm gonna yeah. say in a good way, probably like like fingers crossed in a good way. And they wanted to build it to be as good as it could be, right? Like I want to hope it's because they had too many good ideas. And so it gets pushed out because of that. No. Um, that also means that in my head, the game looks yeah, nothing exactly. like it did. And like when I'm ago. looking here, like there is a world. <laughs> no I development that, that has progressed push it out can maybe, look the same as it did four years ago. Thieves, which came out in 2018. And so. it probably would have done okay. But for all of its problems, and that's another game that really has continued to yeah. grow and is now fantastic. Yeah. But even at launch, Sea yeah. of Thieves was an ambitious sandbox. Um, and while it did have problems, I think the majority of the bad press it got or the yep. flack from fans was that it was a sandbox mm. rather than a, a directed experience. Um, and I think Ubisoft probably saw that and was either like, oh, we don't have enough or we're like, we're too similar and we're going to get yeah. pulled up on the same things. Like I can totally see that that being a huge factor into why they started doing that huge redesign, right? At the end of the day, I'd rather them take their time and potentially release something good rather than just push something out yep um so yep you know disappointing for people that are waiting for it but i think it'll be better in the long run yeah absolutely absolutely think of all the ship customization this game i could see having a free-to-play model on yeah it. for sure uh so, so maybe that's part of the quick just it, it might be part of here there's a new stargate here, right? game coming out it's going to yeah. be an rts it's called Stargate Timekeepers, and it is made by Creative Forge Games, who are behind the Phantom Doctrine and Hard West. I've heard of Hard West, but I cannot, I cannot picture the games in my head, but I know I've played Hard West. Um, but it is being published by Slytherin, who... Never heard of. They do a lot of uh, RTS games that are based on real war things, but they also just released a game in the Warhammer franchise that was pretty highly lauded as an RTS and uh, they did, what's that, uh, Stranded Deep? What's that? Is that the name of that Cthulhu game I did a review of that I really liked that I've forgotten the name of on this podcast right now? Stirring Deep? Stranding Deep? I'm going to look this up. Wow. Stirring Abyss, I'm pretty sure is what it's called. Uh, wow. You, we started this off saying how professional something abyss. the date. I can't even remember a game I reviewed last year. That's Stirring what abyss. the pandemic has done to my sure. brain. Um, too many. Yeah. <laughs> Look, you're just too busy with too many professionals. 
I, I lost yeah, a noun there, play, so that's I'll what I'm going with. Games. Too many um, professionals yeah, to so be able to keep track of all of the it. things uh, that you do, okay? No details. Um, Stirring Abyss, I just confirmed. Stirring Abyss. Check that out on YouTube. I really, really like that game. I think it's really good, and it's definitely flown under the radar for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, basically yeah. this is... Uh, it's going to be a splintered breakaway from the uh, Stargate SG-1 main plot specifically the end of season seven i've never watched the tv series um and it will be a store an original story starting with the battle of antarctica um so yeah if there are any stargate fans out there i'm always excited even though i don't play rts games i'm always excited to see new entrants into that field anyway we're going to move on now to some capcom news here because resident evil village just released last week and it has shipped over three million copies already uh, so the the game went live on May 7th. I think that would be US time. Uh, in the UK, it's already the second highest box debut for the year, only beaten by Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Uh, now, it's already shipped 3 million copies. In total, Resident Evil 7 shipped 8.5 million units as of December 2020, and 7 was the biggest uh, selling entry in the series and the second best selling Capcom game ever. Monster Hunter World takes that title at 16.8 million. Uh, Resident Evil 2 Remake, which is fantastic, managed 7.8 million sales since it went on sale in 2019. And now all of the Resident Evil games has exceeded 100 million units since the first game came out in 1996, which to me that seems pretty low considering how many games there are, but I guess not. Um, Capcom but doesn't sell well. <laughs> Yeah, it's true, but um, this does lead into that this has been a uh, another record year for Capcom. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, they've seen uh, profits for the fourth year in a row for a company that was back against the wall, almost bankrupt. That is incredibly impressive. Uh, one month so, from bankruptcy. There you go. One month from bankruptcy. I think that's what they said. Uh, they had enough money in the bank to pay their employees for one month. At one yeah. point, they released a statement just before Monster Hunter World came out. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just, give me the giblies even just thinking about it. And there's probably some hyperbole there, or I might be misremembering some facts, but yeah, it's something like that. Before we before we go continue on the story, like it is very easy to think Capcom as this giant company, and they're totally not. They're not. They're really not. But it's also very easy to just forget capcom exist if you're not into their games <laughs> right they are a niche field um, and when like, you're into their games though like yeah i some people are nintendo are diehard fans for life some people are into blizzard some people are uh, there's so many companies out there that you dedicate a lifetime of game to i i i'm a capcom boy i yeah like easily a Capcom. Yeah. This yeah. is, it's, it's really interesting, right? Because so many of their games are just like, so they're like the fighting games and they're like the monster hunter franchise. And they're all these weird sort of monster hunter adjacent combat games and all these, like they don't really do platformers and things like they used to back in the day. Like they've really settled in on their niche technical games is what I think of when I think of Capcom. Right. And that's scary for a lot of people. And a lot of people are just like, I don't play those games. So they don't even know Capcom as a company. But then you're like, 
they made Street Fighter, one of like one of the gaming greats that if anyone thinks of video games, someone like everyone knows Street Fighter, whether they've played it or not, right? I I have um, three names for like nineties era Capcom. Street Fighter, mm-hmm. Mega Man, Resident Evil. <laughs> right? Like Yeah. Think of that yeah. pedigree. And that's just the well known stuff. The amount of like cult followings uh, games that this company has is insane. Darkstalkers, Power Stone, Joe. Beautiful Joe, Dead Rising. I just yeah. this this company. What the hell is this company, man? <laughs> like, yeah. So in their revenue for financial year ending reports, uh, it was reported they made ninety five point three billion yen, which is up sixteen point eight percent from last year, with a profit of thirty four point six billion yen. Uh, so that's like. A hell of a lot of money, which is up fifty-one point six percent of the fiscal year. Uh, professional pointed- comparison point. That's a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> good metaphor. Good, good metaphor. I can't look. Let's put it this way: I can convert yen to US dollars roughly off the top of my head, and it's too much for me to be able to do that conversion without looking it up. So a I, lot of money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even 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 within the inflated numbers that yen have, the inflated zeros that yen has, billion is still an absurd number. Yeah. Um, so Capcom uh, have said, you know, Monster Hunter Rise and the Resident Evil 3 remake, surprisingly, uh, were big sales growth for them. Uh, and of course, Iceborne, uh, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, rather, and Resident mm-hmm. Evil 2 remake continue to sell and do well. Yeah, the tales, um, right? Yeah. Devil May Cry 5 uh, performed really well, oh. specifically on the new consoles. I I wanted the new console nothing more, for nothing more than just this game. Well, see, I have uh, the Series X and I can get this version of the game, but I don't have 120 hertz uh, TV, so it's just a bit like... I want to play that game in its most optimal form, basically. Oh, I don't care about that. I want <laughs> I want Virgil. <laughs> I want Virgil. Yeah. <laughs> um, and out of this news, we also found out that Monster Hunter Rise shifted over 4 million copies following its release in March. Uh, oh, sorry. We already knew that. Um, we reported on that even. Yes. But now it's up to 6 million since then. Yeah. Um, and Resident Evil 3 Remake sold 3.9 million units, which is pretty decent considering the game is trash. Um, oh, harsh. <laughs> yeah, look, that game is trash. If I could go back and do one of my early reviews on the channel again, I would just actually just dunk on Resident Evil 3. I've thought about that game quite a bit lately. And, of course, Village just came out. So, um, you know, it's looking to be another strong showing for Capcom moving into the early parts of their next financial year. So, exciting news. I'm all for it. Give Capcom more no. money. Also, Street Fighter yeah. Five is doing well. They're no, It's not going to do well enough to make dents in these numbers, but it's doing well. Props to that team. Yeah. Yep, and they're, they're obviously working on new things, which we reported a few weeks ago as well. So. Mm. Okay, and uh, some bad news for you if you're looking for a PS5. Uh, Sony has said that they expect it will be continually struggling to meet the demand in 2022. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, basically this is not going to be solved this year. This is probably going to be going on next year. Um, you know, the PS5 is incredibly hard to get right now, and the chip shortages means all tech stuff is very hard to get and scalpers are the worst people on earth you want to know the Uh, interesting like case study that my dad keeps bringing up to me um um, cars are in shortage now because of chip shortage yeah so this is actually my um parents they 
they have like a lease car thing because they, they work in the automotive industry. So mm-hmm. they get a new car replacement every year, which mm. is part of their contract. And they've got rid of their old car and they're going to have to wait until like November for their new one to arrive. Yeah. And it, that's like, that's not a specialty car. It's a Toyota, like one of the most common cars in Australia. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, no, nah, we don't got any. No one got any. It's to the point where it's such a like weird aside, but just to give you an idea of what this chip shortage is forcing people to consider, some automotive industry uh, companies are considering going into chip manufacturing themselves. Yeah. Because the supply chain is so messed up. Yeah. So. It's, um, it's super interesting, right? Like, this is completely off topic here. But yep. when you when you focus so much of the world's like manufacturing in one country mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that country shuts down because it's the epicenter of a pandemic, it's almost like that's probably a bad thing. Hey, we probably shouldn't do that. We should probably distribute that load a little bit across people. Well, uh, what what is the uh, <laughs> you know, diversify your portfolio? <laughs> Yeah, uh, and and pay people fairly, and make sure that you know we have redundancies because uh, while obviously we are in the video games industry and we love video games, so it's like yes, this sucks for us. Like, there's just so many other bigger things at stake here, and then we're all here like I can't get an iPhone. Oh my god, you know it's yeah, it's wild, it's wild. Um, so yeah, I guess try and have some perspective, even if you really want a PS Five. Um. My other question would be, why would you? There's no games to play on it. Uh, but, Devil May Cry yeah, 5. Uh, yeah, but that game's already been out. Anyway, um, the moral of the story is, uh, if you find one, uh, grab one, talk to your friends, try and help each other out so you're not supporting these scalpers. Um, I was looking at one, I just happened to see one on Amazon, and they're going for like 1500 bucks here because they're just not available and people are scalping like wild. So Yeah. Yeah. It's the way it is. Um, and that goes for video cards. It goes for everything. Like I had to pay like 150% markup to get a hard drive, just a hard drive. Mm. And I need the hard drive because mine's failing. Like that. Hmm. Anyway, <sighs> enough about that. Uh, I do want to talk about this though, because I'm very excited about this. Judgment is getting a sequel. Judgment being the uh, Yakuza spin-off from uh, Ryoga Gotoku Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, for those who don't know, Judgment was a spin-off where you played as a lawyer who was trying... There's a lot of detective work in that game. Um, and they announced... We spoke about this last week, I believe, that there was an update coming. Uh, that update got leaked. Uh, it sadly is trailer. not Terminator crossover. It is not the Terminator crossover that we hoped for, um, but I will write that developer a letter and drop it off at their studio, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will be uh, releasing Lost Judgment, which is a sequel. It will take place in Kamurocho, which is the fake version of uh, Kabukicho here in Tokyo. Um, and it will also include uh, the scenic port city of Yokohama, which is where the latest Yakuza Like a Dragon takes place. Um, now... Interestingly, out of this, though, uh, they kind of confirmed that Yakuza is going to continue to be a turn-based RPG. Yeah. Uh, so speaking to IGN, uh, Yakuza creator, Yakuza's creator, Toshihiro Nagoshi, uh, and the producer, Kazuki Hasokawa, confirmed that the Yakuza series has been transformed into a turn-based RPG, and on the other hand, over the years, Ryoga Gotoku Studio has 
accumulated resources and know-how of making flashy and exhilarating action games that are effortless to enjoy. So we decided we should let that be our signature action gameplay that should live on through Lost Judgment. So it sounds like Judgment is like taking that mantle of the action game mm. and all, or at least for the foreseeable future, uh, the Yakuza series is going to continue on with the turn-based battle system, um, which is really exciting and super cool that they, like, over the last few years, the Yakuza series on an international scale has just exploded. Yeah. Uh, and become incredibly popular and famous. And it could have, it would have been just so easy for them to be like, finally, after, you know, five games, we can cash in on this and keep making another five of that style. And they were just like, nah, we are going to finally change things. And then for them to stick by that is really cool. The, can um, you, I don't even understand the pressure of being like, yeah, these games are not popular. This the the first one since its rise in popularity, we're gonna make it completely different. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's kinda nuts. And but then you look at those games and like it's very clear that this studio is kinda nuts too. So yeah. it's kind of on brand, right? Um You wanna talk about but, like passion projects. Yakuza. Every Yakuza game feels like a passion. Uh, maybe not every, but like you know what I mean. The series yeah, yeah, feels yeah. like a passion project. Yeah. I think they care about the character. Like it's, you don't make characters that fit so well together unless you care. Like those games have so much heart and soul. And I Mm. think that they have interesting things to say about Japanese society and world society and very tongue in cheek. I think they are doing a wink and a nod at the international audience of what they perceive Japan to be (laughs) also. Um, It's very cool. I, I really appreciate this studio so much. I, my regret is that I had never really got into uh, these games until Zero, so I, you know, definitely coming late to the party there. Um, but back to Judgment, uh, Sega kind of haven't confirmed, but have basically said there are no plans for Lost Judgment on PC at this time. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I say it hasn't haven't confirmed um, is originally the teaser site did have mention of PC that was removed, but in the source code fans have seen the steam logo is still there. Um, but Sega has told PC gamer that the game is being announced for PlayStation five, Xbox series XS, PlayStation four and Xbox one. Sega has no plans to bring lost judgment to PC at this time. Interestingly, no, um, they specifically say place. Oh no, don't worry. I'm just going to continue on from that. Fuck up. I think that it it's unfortunate, but it makes sense. Uh, Judgment wasn't exactly the hot sell they were hoping for when it launched. Yeah. They, they the, had the thrown a bit thing, of effort behind it. and mm. Yeah, the interesting thing is that the yakuza games have been doing gangbusters on pc so i'm actually really surprised that alongside this we didn't get a pc version of judgment um but but sega are really enjoying that pc money right now so maybe it's just coming at a later date maybe they want to get those console versions out first i'm not sure what the what the deal is yeah i mean yakuza 7 is not on pc yet so maybe you know there usually are you know a year-long gap or something um maybe even more so Interesting. Japanese devs, PC, very weird relationship. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it does make sense too. Like uh, a lot of people don't have a big gaming rig. They don't have room for a big gaming rig, but they have crammed well, in a little TV with a console. So It makes sense for the Japanese market, but one thing that maybe is not super clear is to the average consumer, developing for specific consoles and then developing for PC, like development isn't platform agnostic. No. Uh, to, to be horrible and like use negatives to describe this, right? Um, and so the better way to say that would be just because you know how to develop for one console slash platform doesn't mean you can develop for all. There is so much like weird consideration to be made and the leap of going from developing from a, for a console to for a PC is actually quite big. You open yourself up to a lot more simple example on a console. If you don't have an options menu where you can adjust graphics, well, you shouldn't because your console should be optimized and everything should be playing about right right you can target very like a few specific hardware setups so you don't need that those options but an option if you don't have an options menu on a pc game what are you doing like there's just you can't justify that yeah and so, like speaking as as people who work with japanese developers they don't understand that because a lot of them are just getting into pc gaming at first and yeah a lot of developers here don't really like they want to sell their games in the West, but they don't understand the West. So they'll be like, well, why are people upset that there's no options menu? And it's like, cause your game doesn't work and they can't make it fit their specific screen. Yeah. They can't do this. So they can't do that. And like, it's the gold standard. Yeah. Um, and, and they're like, but it's our job to fix it. And then you have to kind of explain, well, you see, that's the thing about PC. And it's the kind of thing that sucks as well is that, people expect your game to not work on their PC and then they'll have to do something about it. Yeah. And I think this is a thing that a lot of people don't think about, right? Um, There are just so many weird, esoteric setups for PC, whether Mm. it's the graphics card, the monitor, the keyboard, the input, like mouse, like use a trackball, for instance. Like no one's making specific controls for trackball. Mice, like how does it operate? How dare you? How dare you, sir? <laughs> but, but, you know, like, it, it, there's all of that stuff. Like, the, the easiest way to, to really explain it, not saying that people don't understand it, but that's why games and apps for iPhones are typically the more polished experience because they're making it for, like, four devices. Yep. They're, like, supporting, like, two devices, uh, two or three devices before the normal ones and then the sizes for each of the, the newest ones, right? And that's it. But yeah. Android, there are like 6,000 different Android devices. So you can't make a standard, this fits this screen and it works because it looks fine on a Pixel 5, but then you move over to like an ROG phone and it's like, why is it so tiny? And why is half the screen cut off? Like that's PC, but on an even bigger scale, right? I, yeah. I hate that discussion where you're like developing and you're like halfway through a good session and then someone gets this, like remembers that, Hey, what would it look like if we tested it with this? And then everyone looks at each other across the room and goes, do we even have that hardware to test on? And (laughs) the amount of times that happens when you're making a game for PC is just stupid. Because it'll be like, have we tested with this controller? Have we tested with, like, you know, uh, this monitor (laughs) or whatever? And it's just, uh, it's it's so annoying. Because you just can't get enough of the use cases, especially if you're a small indie dev. For... I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say this. For a number of indie projects that I've worked on, the lowest, but like the the minimum spec 
is literally 100% based on what's the worst machine we can get our hands yeah. on. Because you can't <laughs> test otherwise. It's just like, you. yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, basically like, it. When you're at a bigger company, they have like racks and racks of this stuff that they can use and test and they keep that. But like when you're a team of three people, it's like, okay, can I borrow my mum's shitty laptop? And if it works on that, that's the minimum spec. Because that's yeah. the oldest PC that we have available. And um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And that's the reality of it. Yep. And that's the news for the week. So we're going to jump into the games that we've played. Uh, we don't have any questions this week, but if you do have a question for us, okay, Anders, I know you're listening to this and you said you thought of a question, but you were too scared to send it in. So please send it in. <laughs> you can do so via Twitter at Pixels Breakfast or via our Discord server. We have a Breakfast Pod questions channel in there. Uh, Join us every week where we call out and bully our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Anders, we love you. For those who don't know, uh, Mini Boss, he does the uh, the music track at the start of this podcast and all of the music for our shows on the streams and YouTube. So thanks, Mini Boss, you're a champion. Uh, games that I played. I have been down a little bit of a weird rabbit hole uh, this week. Um, so I have been playing so much Apex Legends. Um, I, I've always really liked Apex, but none of my friends wanted to play it. Uh, and I don't like playing it alone, but recently they launched a new game mode called arenas. I think it's called arenas. Um, which is like this weird middle ground of Valorant and overwatch surprisingly. Um, so for those of you who don't know, instead of the regular battle Royale mode, it's two teams of three. So it's uh three V three and you're on smaller maps, very small maps. And it has a buy phase, just like counter-strike or Valorant where you're purchasing your weapon and then you you run in and it's you know last team standing kind of thing and it's f- uh, best of three uh, first two three wins wins the wins the match mm. and it's just a lot of fun because I say it's a little bit like Overwatch in the sense that the Apex heroes themselves have a lot of personality and they have background stories and they've added comics and all this sorts of thing like over time they've really built up that personality of these characters mm. and I think that's a lot of fun. Um, and like Overwatch, it's like an entire clip to kill someone and making sure you use your, your powers and your abilities and, and healing and, and shields and all that stuff. Um, which in Valorant, it's like, you can get a headshot and die, which I, I do like that. I like that a lot, but I need to be in the mood for that. Um, and what the arenas version has really done for me is taught me how to play Apex Legends well, because when you're in the battle royale, like you're jumping in and you've got to find whatever weapon you can get and then you get shot straight away, right? And there's a theory that I have and it's a theory many people have in battle royale games. Like if you want to get good, you find the whatever the equivalent is of the school in PUBG, like the most populated spot and you just spend like two or three days, every jump you go in there, you learn to shoot, you learn to perform under pressure, right? Yep. But that just takes so long. By the time you queue and then you never know what weapon you're going to get. What arenas lets you do is like, I'm going to focus on this weapon for the next five rounds and you learn how to use that weapon. And because the arenas are so small, combat happens very quickly and you learn how to escape from situations that are very tight and you learn how to use your ultimates well and you learn how the synergies work much, much quicker and much more consistently than you do dealing with the unknown and the randomness of the battle royale mode. And that's really, really awesome. Like that really gave me an appreciation for just how well and finely tuned Apex Legends is as a game. 
And now when I go into battle royale modes, like I'm cleaning up and I'm not even very good, but like I'm getting, you know, double digit kills regularly now because I just know how to aim the weapons, how to use the weapons and, 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 uh, see a hero and know what their bag of tricks are. Because that's the other thing too, like which heroes am I going to run into? Like during these rounds, I'm running into the same heroes because I'm seeing the same team at least three times if, you know, we get a clean sweep or whatever. And it's just, it's that game distilled down to a perfect form. And while I still really like the Battle Royale mode and now I'm playing a good mix of arenas and Battle Royale, like arenas has just got me so fixated on this game. I cannot Mm. stop playing it. It's fantastic. That's super cool. And it's free to play. Um... I've been trying to get, I'm trying to convince, I'm trying to convince Blue to give it a crack because I actually think he w- he won't mind it. I think he might like it because eh. you like Overwatch, right? I like, I haven't played Overwatch in, since 2017. But you're so excited for the sequel. Yeah. I want to play the co-op stuff. I want to play the single player stuff. Yeah. Right. Fair call. Fair call. Yeah. Um, another game that, uh i've been playing on mobile quite a bit is uh league of legends wild rift um i've been checking this out just because uh shout out to um from the aether another another gaming podcast i've mentioned a few times they were talking a lot about it and uh i do like mobas um but i I struggle to find the the time to play them and like communities are rather toxic and Wild Rift is basically mobile League of Legends, but the game is completely sped up. So like an entire game takes, you know, 15 minutes max. And uh, I've just been really enjoying that and just marveling at how well made it is. It's, you know, got a really great tutorial. It teaches, um, it teaches the roles of the lanes really well. And like, um, like I've, you know, played 90 hours of Dota and I probably have played about the same of league over the years um but this tutorial is the first time i've ever seen like that's a duo lane and support and dark go there and this character does this and this character usually does that and while you kind of pick that up from watching streams and playing the game organically to have it specifically laid out of here are the main strats that you do need to know like you can play around with these ideas but this is where most team composition looks like really really smart really really good i think they just like if you try and explain to someone how to play a moba it's so confusing and it's really interesting to see them really try and drill down in how to teach people to play the game well Mm. and that's really cool to see the other interesting thing and i'm not there yet but listening to into the aether um as i've seen in in the tutorials and every time you launch into a match it's like here's the duo lane and then it doesn't tell you that you should go there. It's like, that's a solo, that's a duo. Uh, but when you play ranked mode, apparently, um, uh, I don't know if you play, have you played a lot of MOBAs, Blue? Uh, when? Yes. 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 So you know how it's like someone will choose their character and they'll just be like, I'm going top lane. Like yeah. they just demand this is it. Yeah. It gets rid of that because it's like you were in the mid lane and then you choose a hero. Like it throws you in a lane or it throws you in a role, yeah. um, which is really interesting. Um, that like, I'm really excited to see how that is because like I don't typically play a jungler and I usually don't play a mage. So if I get thrown in those, those positions, I'm going to have to learn how to do that. So that's kind of cool. Mm. And it also just takes the no one can blame you for choosing the character that they wanted because, you know, you got 
you got assigned to that position and role. Um, mm, so that sounds mm. really cool. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm just like, you know, playing two or three games a day. It's just like kind of, if I've got a quick downtime at work, I'll pick it up and play around kind of thing. Um, but yeah, if you've ever been interested in what a MOBA is just as a design principle and stuff, I think this game does a really good job. Like you could literally just play the tutorial and play like three or four games against the AI and you would have a really competent knowledge of what a MOBA is. Um, I don't know if I'm going to continue playing this um, like, you know, down the road, but I think from that perspective, it's been really interesting. And then once again, just seeing um, the scope of development on mobile games and how far they keep going. It's really impressive. And if you're interested in what a mobile is from a like game design perspective, come and talk to me. I have thoughts <laughs> and feelings. It's very complicated and it has a long history, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. That could be an interesting um, segment for our new stream series, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. But then I'll just um, be salty the whole time. <laughs> Uh, um, a game that Blue and I have been playing, which is another Riot Games game. Um, we've been playing Legends of Runeterra. We just started that up a couple of days ago. On and, Steve's uh, invitation. He's like, you yeah. gonna play a card game with me? I'm like, sure, I'll learn a card game. I, I want to say, before we get into this, if you haven't looked at like Riot's uh, marketing promo materials, go and check out Legends of Runeterra launch trailer, Breathe. It is such a beautiful trailer. Yeah. I mean, I think that sums up why I like this game a lot. It's just, it has a really cool style and vibe to it. And we'll get into like how it plays in a minute, but just the feeling of being in this game and world and seeing all the characters like be there. I really just love it. Like it brings a smile to my face that other games haven't in this space before. I don't know how other people, um, I don't know what kind of relationship other people have with their collectible card games. But if you're like me, one of the things that you that might be like the missing linchpin for why you care about a card game um, is go and check out anytime you can look for flavor text in the game because it's so much flavor for the game, right? Like in, in one of the core sets, um, you have a unit named Cythria the... I don't remember what her like title is. It might just be like Cythria. And you, you right-click on her and you look at the flavor text and she's just like this dinky, no, no ability, 2-2 two, two unit. And it's just like the story of this girl who's come to Demacia, the city, and is looking for adventure. And then you scroll down in the list of cards and below there is Cythria the Bold... And you click on that flavor text and it's like her after maybe a couple of years and the stance is different. It's not this wide-eyed kid who's just entered the city. It's this battle-seasoned warrior on the, on, you know, on the vanguard of an army uh, leading the charge. And the flavor text is just, uh, when I came to the city, I was out looking for adventure. I did not know at the time how much of that would be my own. And it's like, that's so good for just yeah. flavor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and my favorite thing with card games too, and I haven't seen this in uh, Runeterra yet, and granted, I haven't really done a lot of that flavor search yet, but like one of the things that I really love about Netrunner is just the flavor text is what made the game, mm. right? Like it mm. just really, there is such a mood in that game that plays into the way that the cards interact with each other. 
Like the flavor, the mechanics almost built the flavor on top of the flavor text almost. Like they were really, really conscious and went out of their way to make cards act really specifically based on what their flavor text was, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's what made me love that game so much. And while I'm not seeing that in, in Runeterra, it's definitely one of the things that I'm enjoying um, the most is just these characters compared to other other card games. Like Hearthstone doesn't click with me because I don't really... I just don't care for Blizzard's fantasy stuff. Oh, like, I just don't. The Hearthstone um, flavor text. Ah, oh, that's really good like, as well. Yeah, and I'm not... It's not that I think it's bad. I just don't particularly like yeah. fantasy. Like, that, that's yeah. not my thing. That's fair. And... While Rune Terror has a lot of fantasy, it also has a lot of characters with guns, and it has like surfer dudes from other portals, and it's like bringing in this kind of almost sci-fi element to it, and that's enough to really do for me. Like I'm out of wizards and goblins and and orcs and stuff. Like I could deal with them, but they're not my favorite. So when a game is mostly that stuff, like that just doesn't gel well with me. Now, granted, I know there are other things in Hearthstone, but like I'm talking about when Hearthstone first launched, and it was nothing but Murlocs and stuff like that, right? You're um, nothing but Murlocs. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the, I actually played quite a lot of Hearthstone, and on a mechanical level, I really liked it back then and played it, you know, enjoyed it. Um, but the thing for me definitely about whether I stay with the game or not is its theme and its characters. Like, Legend of the Five Rings is a 100% theme for me, and I would play that game every day if I could. Um, as opposed to... Game of Thrones, the card game, which I think is really good, but I don't particularly like Game of Thrones. So, like, it made me bounce off it really quick, right? Mm. But anyway, Rune Terror. My is brain really, was not really helpful cool. there. You said Game of Thrones, and for whatever reason, my brain went Lord of the Rings. Like, my. It was very confusing. Um, well, it was made by the same designer and. Yeah, I believe they're the so same type of game. But the yeah, Lord of the Rings one was not, was not compelling to me. So. Yeah. Um, I think mechanically that game's interesting. But anyway, uh, Rune Terror is, you know, it is a lot like Hearthstone in its presentation. Like, it's got the board, you've got the cards, you drag them out in the middle, it's got the timer that comes across. Like, it's, yes. if you look at it, it looks like that in Shadowverse. Like, it's just, that's yeah. the standard competitive card game format for digital games, right? Um, it's very bright, it's very colourful, uh, but its turn order and everything is, at least from when I played Hearthstone, unique. feels very different. It's, it's I'm unique. It's you, completely yeah. unique. No, it, I'm going like, to let you talk about it because you play a lot more card games than I do, but yeah. Yeah. At the time, Runeterra took a completely unique approach to card games. It Basically, it split the difference between Hearthstone and Magic. It wanted to give you the ability to, um, to react because that's one of the best parts about Magic, but it also didn't want to bog you down with, well, you can react whenever. Uh, don't get me wrong. If you're a magic head, you will still feel like there's lead boots on you when you play Runeterra. It, it, you can't. You can't. Magic doesn't like magic shouldn't work digitally. Basically, like it's a miracle Arena does as well as it does for what it's doing. Um, because magic is about yeah, you put it in in paper and you can just go wild with it. So if you're looking for a magic alternative, Runeterra isn't it. But if you're looking for something more complicated than Hearthstone and don't want to get into magic, yeah, 100% pick up Runeterra. It's it's a very good stepping up point to more complicated card games. It has decent amount of complexity. Bear in mind, it's still young. It like it's only over, just over a year old at this point. So what collectible card games like this do is they will start with simple safe mechanics. 
they won't get weird until a bit later. You know, as more expansions come out, you'll, you'll start to get weird stuff. There's some, there's a couple of things in here that's a bit weird now, and um, you can totally like play with those. But yeah, it, it's still pretty vanilla. Uh, it's still pretty board based, um, especially in the early collection phase. I don't know what it's like later on. I literally only played like three, four hours of it. Um, yeah, because we're mostly, I think both of us are in the same boat where we play against each other and then we're mostly doing just single player content. We're not really. Yeah, I have I've no. played a few online games, but yeah, that's it. I don't even play Magic against other people. Like, I spend so much time on Arena. I play against one other person. Because yeah, 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 you were saying, which blew my mind. I thought you were in that competitive grind. Ah, hell no. Competitive Magic on Arenas. Card games like Magic. Uh, are fun because people allow it to be fun, right? Because yeah, yeah. magic is so fine-tuned that if you are after the best and like most efficient deck, it gets really dull really fast because it's just whether you can do it first or your opponent can do it first. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Magic is good when you can play with a friend group who just says, maybe that combo is too good for us. And we just don't play that combo anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like a discussion we had while we were playing Runeterra yesterday um, that when you're playing competitive uh, and especially like the 90% uh, will copy the decks of the top 10% players and that just means you're seeing the same cards, you're seeing the same meta and it's just you want if you want to try and just build fun decks that are based around a concept or even just characters that you like, like you just can't compete even at the lower tier because everyone's just using an optimized deck. Um, and I want to say this, that, there is nothing wrong about net decking. You 100% should be net decking if you're after winning. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes. I'm just saying from my perspective, yeah. for me, that's not really what I'm playing card Precisely. games for. Yeah. Um, and the, I do, I, I don't know how Arena works and I don't actually, for that point, I don't know how Hearthstone works now, but it was not this way. Um, like they literally just have uh, like, a code you can enter to automatically create a deck base. They, there was obviously a website with databases that you just put your deck code in and it will create the deck for you, assuming you have the cards. And that's that's pretty cool if you do want to download like someone's deck and and play around with it even. That's a that's a cool idea. I do like that. Yeah, no, Hearthstone and Arena have it. Oh, they do have that, yeah. yeah. It, it's, not even a, it's not even a database of decks. It's literally um, you your code describes every card in the deck because it's only 40 cards. Ah, so it's actually from the game. Right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You, you, yeah. So if you go into Runeterra, uh, when you're making a deck, you can copy it. Yeah. And what yeah, that does yeah. is it puts a string into your into your clipboard, which represents every card in your deck. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. I think that's a really cool if that's what you're after. But for me, I'm just looking at to build a deck with with uh, those cute little snowball dudes. Poros. <laughs> uh, what Poros. That's it. Yeah. What Runeterra and to be uh, frank, even Magic needs is um, deck share. So Hearthstone allows you to yeah. share your deck against the person you're playing with against. So you can be oh, like, hey, good. I built this. And, and you don't have to own the cards. Like it's just, hey, I built mm -hmm. this. I think you'd enjoy it. And I've I've totally done that before with friends where like, no, 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 like check out this deck. It's cool. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, but yeah, Legends of Rune Terror. If anyone listening does want to have some funsy games, let me know because it is one of those things that I can have up on a second monitor while I'm uh doing other things most of the time. Um, hmm. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and the last one, we're not going to talk too much about this one, but we've um, Blue and I started a new series uh, called Let's Discuss. Hmm. Um, 
the idea is for right now, just bit of a bit of personal housekeeping here. Like my life is really, really busy. Work is like insanely busy and I am like need to spend two to three hours a day studying Japanese at this point. Um, so doing reviews and everything, like I love doing it, but it's also like each review takes me approximately 30 to 40 hours. And that's if a game's 10 hours long, right? Like if a game's longer than that, it's, you know, exponentially so. And uh, Valen just had a, had a baby, so he can't do edits right now. So then I have to add editing time on top of that. So it's like, it's a big thing. So I'm tr- we're trying to think of ways that I can still do that, that sort of critical analysis work with less editing time and, and, you know, in a way that I don't necessarily have to finish a game, but still provide commentary on that. Uh, so Blue and I uh, decided to do Let's Discuss, which is instead of being like, haha, I died on Twitch all the time. It is very much like we still talk about that stuff a little bit, but it's very much we're talking about the game and the design and things around it. Um, so we did one of those Resident Evil Village for the first two hours of that game. Uh, I'm a big Resident Evil fan. Anyone listening to this probably heard me talk about it, you know, because I've streamed most of those games at this point. Um, you know, Resident Evil 2 was my first PlayStation game. Like, I'm very invested in that series. And Blue, coming away from that video, I don't think I like 8 that much. Um, its flow is weird. It's not because it's, it's not a bad Resident game. Yeah, I, 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 I honestly believe that this was another game that they decided to just put Resident Evil on, um, because I think the idea is really great, and which we'll get into in a minute. But Resident Evil Seven just did something magical to this series, right? Like uh, Resident Evil One through to Three, maybe Four, was very, very serious about itself. It was a very serious horror game, and then what? Five and Six kind of. No, it wasn't. Like, no. Three was no, not a serious it, horror game. In terms of it's very self-serious, it was like, this is happening and this is shit. And then four and five, uh, five and six jump the shark where it's just like, literally Chris is punching a boulder, right? And it just goes off the deep end. And then seven was kind of like this weird middle ground where it like, it was basically a Saw movie in game format in a way that, rather than relying on jump scares and just like T virus and umbrella corp and all that, it was more about the tension of these characters. And it really injected uh, much needed like uh, character portrayal into these games, because until this point, like you had things like Wesker and shit going on and T virus and all that stuff that the game and the characters within the game were very serious about. But then seven, it was like, here are just these larger than life characters that really steal the show is way more theatrical and the tension was ramped up. Eight just feels like the most disappointing follow-on from that for me so far. Because you just have Ethan Winters, who is already a nothing protagonist. It really just, is. <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to put this here. There's a spoiler alert for the next two minutes. If you want to... Uh, if you want to skip ahead, um, but this is very like this is within the first ten minutes of the game, right? Yeah. So, so you've been warned. The game picks up, uh, you know, after seven, and your wife is completely just 
brutally murdered right in front of you in the most ridiculous way possible and Ethan's like, oh no, is basically the response. Or you're in the village and like you're talking to some characters and they're also brutally murdered just like in the most despicable way possible and he's just like, well, we better get out of here then. And it's just like, he's just nothing. He's the shell of a human. It's just ridiculous. And like the most messed up shit happens to him and he's just like, oh my god and he's over it completely like it's just so strange it is so strange i think what they did and was they they borrowed a personality core from glados and they put it on a camera and that's all <laughs> that's, that ethan that's... winters is yeah it's it's so strange because once again the characters that we've met outside of the opening there are larger than life in a really good way, good way. you know like while it's Presence. not the tension it yeah it's not the tension thing that i wanted after seven but it's like a midnight horror film but a really good b-grade midnight horror film you know yeah. what i mean yeah. where it's just over the top and bombastic and a lot Presence. of fun yeah and it's just so like i don't know i have a couple of thoughts here right like if it wasn't a direct sequel to seven and it wasn't the same characters i think i probably wouldn't feel this way actually because sure. There's like the president, uh, it's continuing their story, but they feel like it's very different circumstances and a different reaction after what happened in Seven. Like it just doesn't feel natural. And I feel like if it was an original character that you're playing as, they'd probably be fine with it, I think. But even more so, I just feel that this wasn't a Resident Evil game. I feel like they made something and then they're like, we should put just, we should just put the Resident Evil name on this and throw the characters in. Like I feel like that was an afterthought because the game flow is also completely different um like resident evil games are typically very linear and you just go to this place and go through and it's like you enter the corridors and you follow things in the sequences and there's some puzzles along the way this has a a, a village hence the name and there are different districts of that village essentially and each of those districts are very very different um i've played a little bit more since the video that we we shot um but like you go to the tall lady's castle and it's like this big decadent castle. And then there's another enemy who has his like junk pile place that he lives. And then there's another boss lady that has like her completely different, weird, esoteric style of a village. And that village literally acts as a hub world. Mm. And I feel like that doesn't really flow with a resident evil design, which I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a resident evil game. And I'm not saying the game's bad because I'm enjoying it, but in the lens of a Resident Evil game, I'm not really getting what I want out of it. But at the same time, it feels like it's celebrating a lot of what that series is known for too. So I don't know. It's just, it's a very strange game. Um, I haven't really fully formed thoughts on it because I'm only a couple of hours in, but yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, Blue. I mostly disagree with the sentiment that um, it's not a Resident Evil game. So, disclaimer and bearing in mind, uh, I think we're past the like spoiler point now, and people should be back listening now. But this, uh, so just just to be clear, I don't play Resident Evil. Um, I don't deal. I don't. I don't care to put myself through horror games. Um, mm-hmm. not a fan. Uh, however, as a student of design, someone who likes design a lot, Resident Evil is a great series. I, 
I like Capcom. I just like Capcom. Uh, <laughs> in my head, in my head, one and two have the same motif. Um, mm-hmm. I think three, completely different type of game from one and two. I think four, completely different type of game again from one, two, and three. Yeah. And I think five, really completely different type of game from the rest of them. So with that said, I actually don't know much about six. Uh, and then seven goes back to one and two style. So with that said, in my head, only three games share the same motif mm-hmm. to begin mm-hmm. with. So when when eight when Village is out and it's like yeah, not really the same. I'm like yeah, that tracks. That tracks. Uh, I see a lot of um, fours influence in eight, and it's like yeah, no, all of this tracks to me. But I've also learned to see Capcom doing com- wildly different things for sequels, right? Um, uh, more extreme example. Let, let's point to Street Fighter, okay? <laughs> okay. Street Fighter 1, Street Fighter 2, those are not the same games. Street Fighter 2, Street Fighter Alpha slash 0, those are not the same games. Street Fighter 0, Street Fighter 3, those are not... None of these are the same game. 4, not the same game. 5, no... Like, Street Fighters are as different to each other as Final Fantasies are, except that they share a lot of the same characters. You know? Capcom is no stranger to just being like, no, this game is not the same as the one before it. I'm just going to put yeah, um, tonberries and mogs in there. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with that, and that's not really the issue. Well, it's not even an issue, right? Like, mm. Resident Evil 1, you say that 1, 2, and 3 are very different. I say they're extremely similar. Just 1 and 2 are the same. 3 is different. Well, 1 two, is one you're is in a mansion. Yeah. 2 is you're in a bigger space. A police station. Uh, and yeah. Th- yeah, a police station and a few other little incidentals. Small, yeah. And then 3 is like, well, you're in a city, but it's about the same size as 2, but there's a character following you, like... It's just a mechanic. I wouldn't say it's different. No, three's it's, difference it's is um, three's difference is yeah, the action number one, and the fact that uh, Jill has the dodge. So that changes the core mechanic of the game, where you now have um, uh, reaction off of a big enemy, uh, the nemesis that is following you, but also mm-hmm. the branching. That's actually a very core part of three. Three was. Uh, the Resident Evil's attempt to go into like choose your own adventure. Yeah, I I don't know. In my head, I just see that as just mechanics added to the formula of one and two. Like they're very similar. Whereas four is a complete redesign of everything that game is. The reason Not I from the re- reason I separate three so heavily from one and two is because two had the um, multiple path thing. If you remember, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's her name? Uh, so Leon A. Claire. Claire, yeah, Claire. Leon B, Claire B, and this like weird um, crisscrossing path to be able to get to either's um, proper ending, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Three was a narrative experiment into how do we build that replay into the game without making people feel like they just have to replay large sections of the game. They still ended up having to do that. But it, it was this like, how do we make this branching narrative system more compelling and interesting? And and I largely see it. The reason I, a lot of people wouldn't consider that something that that was a focus is because they drop it, right? But I, I do see it as a very big part of the of the design of the game. Not maybe not the core gameplay, but the design of the game. 
was mm-hmm. hugely impacted by this because that yeah, a- yeah. adjusted the way they treated um, set piece moments, which is a thing. Like they went for more set piece moments as a result of that. They, they, like if Resident Evil 3 had gone a different way historically, Resident Evil would have become a set piece game similar to Uncharted or God of War. Yeah, right. But I see what you're saying. What I saw from their lessons of three was that people responded well to the action sequences that they experimented with with Jill. And that's why Leon is much more of an action character in four. And that's why four went action route, which then led into five being a fully action co-op game. So that's how I but, see the progression of development of just this. What did we learn? What do we want to do more? And then by the time they hit six there and seven, sorry, they were like so fatigued and it had been so long that they were just like, how about we just try to learn from the first game again? And then that was amazing. And so I don't know yet what Village is learning from, but every Resident Evil has learned from a previous Resident Evil. Um, But also, I would argue that the Resident Evil games are sequels in number only. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas that, this is its first direct sequel, and then the game does yeah, not feel yeah. at all connected. Like yeah, I literally so feel I, that the game is only connected by the character. Name. I I agree. <laughs> I agree that this was a different game before they decided to stick Ethan in here. Yeah, um, like, and I'm not saying that's wrong or bad because yep, I, as I just, said, I am enjoying it. Yeah. It's just jarring. It's like it's just a statement on the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and there are, there's obviously character continuity. Um, three very clearly is a sequel to one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like there's continuity, but it's always like you're a different character and it's a different situation essentially. Yes. Um, yeah. Whereas when it's like you hear direct sequel and you're like seven's this thing that's really tense and int- like I, the game is messed up, but I would describe it as being intimate. The game is very intimate. Mm. And this just feels nothing like that. And when you're uh, following on from that very intimate story, and it starts off as like we are in this space with these characters again, mm. it it just feels weird to me. Um, and I said, not in a bad way. It's just not what I was expecting or wanted. Like well, I totally feel like this <clears throat> could have been a new protagonist or it could have been an entirely new game and still do well. Like, anyway, yeah. To, to build on that point, here's a very simple concrete game example of this difference in ideology um we in in the playthrough we actually mentioned at some point that the field of view is very narrow um mm-hmm. it occurs to me after that the field of view is probably copied from seven which makes sense in a small claustrophobic house yes a narrow yes. field of view to keep and you won't notice it as much because your field of view will still have both walls on either side of you but this makes you feel a bit more closed in yeah. They probably just copied that field of view over to keep that feeling, but it doesn't work as well now because half of your gameplay time is going to be in the broad open village. Yeah, yeah. So it, that is it, also a good point. It is like just this... It's this sequence of like games where they keep learning from each other and then they, they take lessons and then they forget about stuff. Um, if you've ever heard the term spiritual successor, to me, village is the opposite of whatever that means. <laughs> where it's a direct sequel but not actually taking the spirit of seven it's not yeah like, yeah. yeah um i don't know i just think it's important if you as someone and i know there are plenty of people like i don't really like resident evil but seven was real good and i loved those characters mm. this if you're after that this might nothing else yeah <laughs> so far anyway you yeah know. so 
super good game yeah. still. But. Yeah, I, I think we may do another episode. Mm. I'm not sure yet, um, but go check that out. That's something we're going to be doing for a lot of games uh, going forward for at least a yeah. month. And let us know if you down. like it. Yeah, like maybe we're off base here. Um, and obviously yeah. it's our first attempt, so it's a little rough. Um, but yeah, it's on YouTube now, so go check that out. Uh, Blue, we talked a lot about games we played together, but anything you want to talk about for yourself there? Sure. Um, so yeah, we've already covered Runeterra, which hasn't been a huge part of the week, but it has been a chunk of it. Uh, honestly, I haven't been playing too much this week. It's just been busy at work. Uh, Magic, a bit more. Um, got a couple of deck ideas out. Astroneer. I- I've actually chunked a bit of time into Astroneer. I managed to convince a couple of my friends to get into it. And man, that game's good. That's a very good game. I like Astroneer a lot. It is a really good game. Yeah. It's very satisfying um, to make progress in that game. And uh, you, yeah, no. uh, I just want to, um, I think we've plugged it before, but there is a fantastic documentary about the making of Astroneer uh, on the No Clip YouTube channel. Um, I would definitely go check that out. may not have talked about that, so good to bring that up, yeah. Yeah, but um, very, very good game. I definitely highly recommend it. Um, and another Marvel title, surprise, surprise, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Uh, I've actually taken to... I've I've so enjoyed this. Um, I like showing combos to my friend who who plays fighting games with me, but we live across continents and oceans, so playing together kind of sucks. Even I can actually we actually have a training mode together. So what I start doing since I have a beefier PC is I've started recording some combos, and I I, I super enjoy that. I've just put them up on uh, my private my YouTube unlisted at the moment. Um, and just the act of like jumping in with the purpose of, yeah, I want to figure out something with this character, but I also want to get to the point where I can record it. Um, that's been super fun because uh, I really uh, enjoy I... combos in fighting games. Um, let, let, let me pitch this hmm? uh, on the pixels of breakfast, YouTube channel, a new series blues fight school, boom, drop and combo knowledge in, in bite-sized chunks. There we uh, go. I would, if people care. I would love to talk over uh, combo, even theory. If you want, like, going into it from a theoretical perspective, I can do that. Or if you want to learn how to play a fighting game combo first, I can teach you that as well. Because let me tell you now, uh, fighting games are not combo first. You, you shouldn't learn combo first. But if you play fighting games combo first, it's uh, it'll be highly engaging to a very specific subset of players who enjoy like the rhythm game subset of um, players who enjoy uh, physical dexterity. Really great genre for that kind of game. If you like enjoy the feeling of, wow, that was hard. And like, I'm, you know, I'm slowly getting it. The feeling of, so this is the thing I, I learned how to do uh, a, a combo, uh, sorry, a specific technique that I have just kind of avoided throughout all of my um, time in fighting games. And I I don't know how to do it well across games yet, but I figured it out for infinite at least. And it starts, the the feeling of it starts as, okay, I know what I have to do intellectually. And then you get there and your brain panics because it doesn't know what visual cues it's looking for. So you're just mashing buttons. And it's not the same as mashing buttons, like just like on the controller, anything I can touch is go. It's like mashing inputs to things that I know have to be in at some point and just randomly in the, the, the time that you're using and the order is a bit random and your brain is struggling to keep A into B into C. 
And then you stop and you breathe and you collect yourself and then you go at it and you try to break it down and you suddenly go, okay, I get the A into B part. Okay, I get the B and a C part. And then you try to put it all together and it fails. And then you spend an hour trying to fix that and then you get A into B and a C. I don't know how, like, it's very hard to describe that feeling of, like, accomplishment of, like, this is hard. Now this is doable in chunks. And then you put it together and it's still impossible. And then you just keep plugging away at it. Oh, actually, no, I have an analogy. It's like learning to play a musical instrument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's like impossible. You, you know, if it's, it's if it's like if you started to learn how to play a musical instrument by telling yourself, "I want to learn to play this song first, which is a lot of ways people play musical instruments, right? A lot of people yeah, pick yeah. it up by going, "I want to learn how to play this," and then they realize, "Wow, that's so much harder than it is." Yeah, and then they break it yes. down, and then you know you slowly plug away until you get there. Um, yeah. So if you, yeah, maybe if you are, you know, someone who's played an instrument before and are looking for a same kind of manual dexterity in in video games, fighting games are there are there for you. Just do combos, um, super fun. Boom. So if you want to see uh, Blue's Fight School on YouTube, make sure you drop uh, some comments on Twitter or the Discord and we'll see if we can make that happen. Yeah. That's I it. Love, I love just locking Blue into work that he hasn't agreed to. Yes. Uh, so you have to understand what I'm doing when I say I record. I hit start record. I play back the combo. I hit stop record. I don't edit it. I chuck it up on YouTube. Right? Yeah. So I've done nothing yeah. for this right now. If if you think that there's something there, we can add more production onto it. Annotations, yeah, voiceover, if you want. Yeah, sure. That would be, we could do a shorter video so there's less editing and I could smash it all together. And you I, could like keeping in mind, file and a, you could do a combo time. right now with, the, with what I'm sending to my friend is like 30 to 60 seconds long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we could do like two minute videos easy. I don't know if people yeah. are interested in this stuff and we could develop something like I'd be totally down if you are blue. Sure. Marvel's a horrible game for this, but sure. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be Marvel. You could do Melty Blood. Also a horrible game. <laughs> well, it depends on what we mean by horrible. It'll be pretty ish. Yeah. Infinite's not a pretty game, but it's flashy, right? Yeah. It's flashy. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, so that's it for this week. We are going to do some housekeeping because uh, tonight, as of recording, so after you've heard this, uh, we launched a new stream series currently called Games. Games. Games? Uh, <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> uh, yeah, Games, Games, Games. It's a show about friendship through the lens of games. It'll be myself, Dr. Blue, and Rowan from Platforms and Pitfalls, also part of the Pixels of Breakfast crew. Uh, and basically the, the concept is like Friday night beers, except on a Thursday. Uh, but you know, we're nerds. So instead of getting beers, we, we play games and just catch up about the week. It's not entirely a hundred percent tied to games. We're going to be playing games while we're having these discussions and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, positive way to get ready for the weekend. Uh, hope that you will join us for this. Uh, it's going to be a bit of fun. We're going to be doing this hopefully weekly. Um, obviously, you know, life schedules and stuff get in the way. Yeah. Um, and we'll be throwing the archive up on YouTube touch wood that we don't have any issues tonight, but that is the plan also. Uh, so I really do hope that you join that. Uh, each of us are going to be bringing a game to the table. Uh, the others, uh, 
won't have be able to play it beforehand. And, uh, you know, like sometimes it'll just be one person playing and we're just having a chat. The other times there'll be multiplayer stuff. Sometimes we'll just pass in- controllers around and be like, yeah. hey, do this. Yeah. And um, we're also like uh, talking about, you know, probably once a month we're going to do a themed thing, like find a game of a specific theme and bring it to the table kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and just a good chance for us to, to unwind for us personally. And we figured it might be fun to get other people involved because um, this blue kind of hints at the end of every episode. I always ask him if he wants to say something. He always says something along the same lines. Like, life right now is really hard for a lot of people for lots of different reasons, um, and and us included in different ways yeah. uh, right here. So, you know, we want to try and bring some of that that positivity just to remind people that, hey, things are okay. People people like cool things, and we, we are all part of this community together of, of society, and we should all be a little nicer to each other. So we're going to try and do that. We're going to try and do that. Um, which might be a fool's errand, but we're going to give it a go. It's just um, for much as for... Let me try that sentence again. It's for much our own mental health as it is for putting a show out there. Yeah, exactly. And then as as we, I mentioned earlier, like it's just hard to find time right now. So it's also like a good opportunity to just make some content um, and, and put it out. Uh, having said that, we do have a Fights in Tight Spaces review sitting there ready to go live. It'll be Ooh. going up next week. Exciting. Um, Blue and I have been working on uh, Almighty Kill Your Gods. Just haven't had time to finish or edit that. And then uh, we've got some other videos coming out. I also just got Biomutant. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, has this, is it terminal? <laughs> it's, it is. It will be terminal uh, in two weeks, I think, the embargo. Oh, up. cool. Uh, so I'm actually thinking, uh, A, it's not Indian. Indies are focus. Um, and, and B, I don't have time, but... I am thinking of doing the rundown for that game, um, which is mm. that new series I started too. I want to try and do some more of that. So I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to do one of those. So, I like Sassy uh, Steve. Yeah, expect a expect a short... Um, well, hopefully it's not Sassy because I have a feeling it's going to be really good. But anyway. Yeah, um, I've heard it's... Yeah. I hope so, at least. I've heard it's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it for us. Make sure that you... Uh, you follow us. Make sure you go check out the YouTube, youtube.com forward slash pixels of breakfast. Also pixelsofbreakfast.net. We have a bunch of articles uh, you, that sites updated weekly. We also have uh, platforms and pitfalls launching on Sunday, the 15th. I think that's a Sunday. Saturday. No, a Saturday. Um, do you remember what the, what the episode is about? Hell no. Okay, so there's platforms and pitfalls <laughs> launching. Um, it'll be going up on the website, but you can also join them on wherever you get your tasty podcasts. And if you could do us a favor and tell a friend about this show, uh, we, we that, you know, that's the only way we're gonna we're gonna grow this stuff. Um, so yeah, we'd really appreciate that. And if you have a spare dollar, uh, go check out our Patreon, uh, so we can start paying people for all the good work that they're doing. And also, I think my GPU is about to die, and that's a bit of an issue. Um, <laughs> Blue, anything you want to say? Uh, just just the usual but important thing of um, things might suck for you. And if they don't, good. But yeah. make sure you take a moment and um, be kind to yourself and be kind to others. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast. <laughs> Pixel